You're listening to the Unreasonable Fridays Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Unreasonable Fridays. I'm your host, Aaron Rand Freeman, and with me finally in a proper episode of the program for 2019, Dasha Mitchell. Hello. We're back. We're back. Proper formatted podcast with an opening and a closing. How do you feel? Even the way that, even the way that you said I'm your host was like it was a question. <laughs> <laughs> we doing this (laughs) we are uh happy uh first day of black history month everybody i hope everybody's got all of their i don't know uh jackie robinson t-shirts on i don't know (laughs) it's our month it's the shortest month of the year we cherish and celebrate ourselves for this month and also every other month of the year but anyway happy black history month day Um, shout out to all of those bulletin boards with the little scalloped borders that have pictures of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks on them <laughs> in schools. <laughs> do, they, do they still have um, Black History Month comic strips? I don't. They used I to have know. those informational ones where they just had like four panels and it was just like they it was like a, a picture of the black person, an action photo of them. And then, like the like the last frame was like like it made Martin Luther King like as a boy, and then he's a pre he's a, like a preacher, and then he gave the I Have a Dream speech, and those are the three panels. What? That, <laughs> and those are the three panels about Black history, like about like the black person. It would just be the three panels. I don't think I ever saw those. You know what I had were these giant calendars. They were posters, but they were of like kings and queens of Africa. <laughs> and it was distributed by Anheuser Busch. I had one of those in the classroom. That was, no, that was in my house. My dad brought them home. And I had them for like five or six years. They published these. I need someone to back me up on this. Who else had the kings and queens of Africa, Anheuser Busch posters? Anhe- Why was Anheuser Busch? What? I don't know, but they were beautiful. I didn't know like, that was Anheuser. I never looked. I was. I was not of. Um. I was not of a, a label staring age. So I was like, oh, it's it's it's, it's Egypt and. King I just Egypt. read all of the all the words on it, and so I was like, oh, that's the beer commercial people. But like, I had yeah, I had like uh the I mean there was just these beautiful um illustrations of everyone from. You know, like Nefertiti to like who's the the great king of of Mali? Oh, I'm forgetting his name. Um, is it Alexander somebody? And it just they were gorgeous. I love them a lot. I don't know why Anheuser Busch did that. <laughs> I I trying to get black people to buy more beer. I don't I don't really get what that is, but they came around every uh, Black History Month. That's when I got my new one. I don't know even know where my dad got them from. <laughs> Would they just hand them out in Compton? <laughs> You're black. Hello, African American. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Here's an opportunity for you to celebrate African American History Month. <laughs> I think even at that time when we first got them, it was still called Afro American History. Really? I think so. That was there's like a little window in there. 
<laughs> when I was very little, where we were Afro-American. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I still, yeah. So if anybody knows what was going on with the um, Kings and Queens of Africa collection, um, feel free to uh, to let me know. Um, do we have any housekeeping? We have a um, brand new website. That's like a month old, but oh, what a brand new website. If you were to go to unreasonablefridays.com, you'd find nothing. You'd be wondering whether we were all destroyed in some type of terrorist attack. We were not. Nope. We moved. We moved. UNF. I like it too because it's just like a quick umph and then it just fills out. It's right. UNFpodcast.com. That is a UNFpodcast.com. You can uh, catch up. On all the episodes, you can figure out how to donate. You can figure out how to meet each and every individual host of each and every individual Unreasonable Fridays program. We about that. Connect to us. Say hello. See us, I believe, as you can even contact us if you have. And if it's like a whole admin situation, everything you need. All your Unreasonable Fridays needs will be met at unfpodcast.com. We also have a patreon because we need to pay for unfpodcast.com and all the shows it's a patreon.com backslash on fridays that's a patreon.com backslash on fridays again we can donate anything from one dollar to seven thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars we also will accept cars with bows on top, like those Christmas Lexus commercials. Yes. We will also <laughs> accept Buicks large enough to house Shaquille O'Neal himself. <laughs> we will accept several forms of donations, not just classic Patreon thing. You don't have to do five or six dollars. You can go. You can the the world is your oyster in this. You can dream big, and then donate big, and we will accept it. If you get me a big person, a Buick, I will sit in it and I will, and will be pictures everywhere. And I'll be like, this patron got me a Buick for my big ass. And I respect that person. We will also make one of those giant cutout pictures of your face. So send us a picture of you along with the Buick and we'll make a giant cutout of your face and we'll just carry it around with us wherever we go. I'll wear it on my back like Captain America's shirt. <laughs> I'll just hold it up in front of me whenever I'm green. Whenever I need whenever I need to be kept whenever I need to feel safe, I will hold it in front of myself between me and the danger. I mean, that's what people want, right? When they pay for when they're a patron on Patreon, they want someone to make their face gigantic and wear it like a Captain America <laughs> shield. I know that's what I want. I don't know about you, Aaron. <laughs> just every night before I go to sleep, that's what I wish for. So your wish is our command. Send us a Buick and we can make this happen. <laughs> All right. So uh, is that it for, for housekeeping? I mean, I believe I believe we've covered all of our bases. Excellent. I think we're good. I mean, like I said, once we do more, because we have this is this is the new, we're now greeting everyone for the new year. So we're going to happy. Is it too late to say happy new year? There's no. a lot of debate out there about when you need to stop saying happy new year. There are nuances to it. Um, I mean, I it talk- is February 1st already, but we haven't talked to you since before. So I talked to I told Bacon this is that what you do is you reserve like after five days is the typical cutoff so like after if you if after five days you stop saying happy new year by january 6th if you don't really care for the person and you're just trying to be civil 
But if you really like the person and you don't see them until after the new year, you can say happy new year at any point in time. If you really enjoy the person, like if you love someone very much and you see them in March for the first time, you go happy new year, nigga, what? (laughs) Because you like the person that much. So it's a sign of love and respect. If you say happy new year, when you see the person in November for the first time, and then you go happy new year. What, but what if I think I see, I think that like the season might be the cutoff for me. Like once the so winter ends in, I don't know when it ends for everybody else, but it ends here in like late February, <laughs> just stops raining and the sun comes out and everything's fine. Um, but yeah, March is like my cutoff. I don't want to, I don't, if I haven't seen somebody who even I deeply care about, because I use the happy new year also as a segue to ask how their holiday time went. Did you have a good new year? Did you, you know, da da da? Like fun to oh. go with your family, like catching up. I oh. use that as a segue to catch up. But by like August, I'm not asking them about Christmas anymore. Oh. I'm just like, hey, happy Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's funny still. Like you could be like, yeah. Happy New Year. So what are you doing for Labor Day? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what are your plans? It's this weekend. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. Happy New yeah. Year. Man, this heat wave is really busting my ass. Busting our ass, huh? No, the, the, you mean the heat wave called living in Los Angeles? Hey, yo. I'm sorry, everybody in the polar vortex. You're not supposed to. You don't talk. Shh. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking yeah. of the polar vortex, so my grandmother, she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, <laughs> where on the other side of the wall. Um, and I texted her first thing in the morning uh, this week, the first day of the imminent freezing and um just to you know check in make sure she's okay she's you know she's grandma she's in her low 80s don't want to make sure she's doing all right and um so you know she said oh yeah you know I'm, i stocked up i went to i went to target last week and my grandma is a she's a second generation norwegian minnesotan so that's why i'm talking like that so i went to you know i went to target and it was very busy but i'm all stocked up and I said, well, you know, just grandma, just make sure that you're that, you know, you, you lock your doors um, and because, uh, you know, beware, don't answer the door. The White Walkers are coming. Make sure you're stocked up on all of your obsidian blades <laughs> <laughs> because you never know what's going to happen. And because my grandmother watches Game of Thrones, she was purely charmed by this. <laughs> and <laughs> Oh, Josh, you've always been so funny. That's what she said. <laughs> But my grandma is fine. A lot of other people aren't, though. And it's like there's a story that she was telling me about how the there was a fire in St. Paul mm-hmm. and they had to call in like every single fire department to come and fight this ha- house fire because the firemen couldn't be outside longer than 10 minutes. Also, the hoses kept freezing. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's like they like they the water would come out and last for maybe seven minutes and then it would freeze. And they showed this picture of this house that just looked like it was from the day after tomorrow, just covered in ice, just a shell of ice with scorch marks on it. It was it's so cold there that the power lines are just snapping (laughs) in the air. (laughs) Just just broken and then starting fires because they're sparking. (laughs) But you can't get the firemen out to put out the fires. (laughs) 
like they had to bring out so they brought out a school bus that was heated so that they could sit on the bus in between like 10 minute shifts of fighting the fire also some water got on one of the ladder trucks and the ladder mechanism got stuck and they had to like tow it out with the ladder extended to go down the street <laughs> it's chaos out there and my thing is and i hate this but whenever i hear these stories i think of the most ludicrous things possible so when you tell me that i think a power line lands in the snow and the snow ignites like no <laughs> right right i think of the snow as like like kindling like in like the, right and like in the forest or in the desert so in my head i understand that there are plenty of things that could be flammable in the snow in sure. my head or like hit it hitting a house yeah right it could touch anything it could, it, there are several things that could burst into flame um, because of a, a power line, a power line touched it. But in my head, I just imagine it laying in the snow for about five seconds, and then the snow bursting in the flames. <laughs> and then people are like, ah! <laughs> the <snow's laughs> "Hi, nine one one. Yeah, um, the snow in my front yard is on fire. It's on fire. Um, <laughs> could you put it out? I don't know what with. <laughs> right. It's just like." It's just a, and the type of thing where you know if the snow bursts in the flames like i'm just sitting in my house like i'm not even calling the fire department i'm screwed no. i'm no. done i tap out yeah i tap out white walkers are coming yeah the snow's on fire white walkers are coming my credit score is shitty you know what <laughs> jesus take the wheel it's fine <laughs> it's fine i don't care meanwhile it's like the apocalypse down here there's been a thunderstorm ongoing for the past like two hours and everyone in la is panicked Dasha, just panics we cannot talk about california weather during the polar but there's vortex. noise <laughs> coming from the sky Dasha, we can't do this it's culturally <laughs> insensitive to talk about to talk about california weather when everyone's having loud booming vortex. sounds the people are making offerings in the street the first day um, it, the first day of the polar vortex thing is Tuesday. It bumped up to 72 degrees here. The warmest oh, has been. I in know a month. it was really right, and I was a looking hundred at, degree difference between my house and my grandmother's house. Right, and I wanna and and Amani told me that it was 70 degrees, and I was like, oh dear, and I was like, I can't. I'm like, I was outside. I went outside a t-shirt, and I was like, oh, oh. oh. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, America. I had I had a, um, one of my old old friends, two old friends actually, just descended onto my house for an evening. It was wonderful. They're from two different time zones, and we don't see each other that often. And uh, they both had to fly back to cold places, especially um, my one friend who went back to Chicago. And her flight was actually delayed, and she was so happy. <laughs> her flight was delayed. She couldn't fly out immediately, but then. <laughs> They managed to get it working. And she was like, I don't want to go. And she was just on this plane with a lot of angry people. Right. Leaving 78 degree weather to go into negative 24 degree weather. Like, I feel like you should get that text from your, from the airline is like, all right, miss. Listen, guys. Um, let's, I, uh, let me level with you. It was like, there's like, to whom it may concern. Let me level with you. I know some of y'all don't want to go home. So let's work <laughs> something out. <laughs> Like if you pay, got tickets. if you got tickets, but if you pay this amount, you can push your flight back a week with this type of discount here. If you do this, and and we'll uh, write you a note so you won't lose your job. Right, we'll hook you. Listen, we'll help you out. They're not whoever you work for is not going to say no to the entirety of Delta Airlines. <laughs> As an entity, we're we're gonna you you need like three days. We're gonna give you three days 
extra days in Los Angeles. Just pay us this. We'll give you that. It's legal binding document. Show it to your job. I mean, think about it. That's it. That's going to be it. All right, guys. Think yeah. about it. Yeah. We, we got you. Got you. We got you. Except they can't. No. And it's just. Yeah. So hopefully, um, I hope everybody is safe. Stay indoors. Stop running outside throwing boiling water in the sky. Stop doing that. We it's all know what it does. It's important. Stop. I One thing I've learned is Americans, well, the white ones, need to see something terrible happen before they acknowledge the reality of the thing. So it's, it's like, it's like, I think that what you, when you wonder, like when you look at the news, there's always someone in negative 85 degrees sitting there reporting about how it's 80 of 85 degrees and it's important that you stay home. And you look at these motherfucker, why are you outside? You don't need to be outside. You don't need to, to be people. outside. Tell me this. And, but I realize that there is a subset of Americans that absolutely require to see, need to see the thing that is terrible in practice before they can acknowledge that the terrible thing exists. And as African Americans, we do not culturally connect to that practice. <laughs> if you say it's negative, all you got to do is send a screenshot of someone's weather app on their phone, and we're all like, nigger. <laughs> and then people all of a sudden I'm a sudden I'm in California and I put on a pair of socks because it's negative eighty one degrees in Minnesota in solidarity with your cold ass. But other right. people they do not. They have issues with I, I would also argue that even in this day of uh going out into the snow and throwing boiling water to watch it turn to instant ice that might be fake news. <laughs> Cause you, like you got white folks that need to watch something to believe it, but then also they might look at it and be like, "I don't see that." Like those the white kids in um DC. Oh, those racist little shits. Well, the Covington yeah, kids. That was racist. That was that was racism. They're racist. Right. And they're wearing their little MAGA hats, and the MAGA hats are racist. There's Ma no argument about this. The MAGA hat is we a... all saw it with our eyeballs. Yeah, it's a it's a symbol of racism. With yeah, the, it's a symbol of racism. Everybody... So so, um, you know that chef, uh, uh, Kenji Lopez Alt. Yeah. Yeah. So he used to he writes for Serious Eats, and he has this really great cookbook called The Food Lab. That's like my favorite thing in the world because he's like, here's why you need a roasted chicken like this. Here's what's happening with the chemistry. Here's what's happening with this. Here's how you make different types of stocks. It's just, it's both science and food, and it it does all the things. Um, he just put out a tweet that was like, yeah, ain't no uh, maga hats in my house. You can't come in my kitchen wearing a MAGA hat. You can't come in my restaurant wearing a MAGA hat. MAGA hats are not allowed, which is fine. Like he, like he, he made his stand. He, he basically said that. Um, let's see. Let me pull up the exact quote because, of course, he came under fire for it. Which I get yourselves together. He says it hasn't happened yet, but if you come to my restaurant wearing a MAGA cap, you aren't getting served. Same as if you come in wearing a swastika, white hood, or any other symbol of intolerance and hate. Right. Yeah. That's and he right. says that they're just worse than uh, white hoods because you can see exactly who is wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> so then, of course, a bunch of people uh, jump on and are just like, well, you're not going to let people in for their political beliefs? No. No. If that's what you believe, then no. Right. No. And, now, granted, it, it's San Mateo. Ain't nobody walking in there with a MAGA hat. It's, um, <laughs> intolerance is not a political belief. Nope. Nope, it's just hate. No. Yeah. 
your opinions on universal health care is a political belief sure right How and we- honestly like i mean if you really want to eat at his restaurant you really really do just don't wear that hat and right. don't shout nigger 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 while you're eating. Right. It's very and you'll be fine. It's very easy to mask your racism. The fact that it's slightly more difficult to mask your racism in 2019 is what, precisely why so many of them are freaking out. <laughs> because it's a slightly slightly more difficult. <laughs> right. And I mean and and there may be some folks who are listening who are like, "Well, but I mean it's not like the hat is racist. It is racist." Hat's a symbol of racism. It's I'm this isn't even an argument. And if you are white and you're feeling in your feelings about whether or not it's fair to call someone wearing a MAGA hat racist, why don't you listen to the people who experience racism on a day to day basis? We know what the fuck we're talking about. When we see someone wearing a MAGA hat, that person's racist. They are a threat. They do not like black and brown people. They would rather this be make America great again like it was when black and brown queer folks were subjugated and white people ruled them all. Right. I don't want to hear it. Right. I don't even like don't even come in my mentions. <laughs> if you want like an immediate block, that's okay. But like I am not about to to hear that. I stand by my statements. If you are not racist, don't wear that hat. And maybe think about why you want to wear that hat so badly. Right. And it's just, and if you are not a racist and you understand the meaning of the hat, the only reason why the, the only reason why this is an argument is so that people can be racist and then put their hands up and act like nothing's wrong when people start swinging on them. That's right. the precisely purpose so they can blur the line so that they can be as racist as possible and walk right up to you. And if you swing on them, then all of a sudden you're like, I was just wearing my hat. Yeah. This monster. I was this hat. How was I supposed to know? My hat is just a hat, isn't it? And then all the and then all the other white people go, "Yeah, it is just a hat." And this is just a white person. He had dreams. Why did you hit him? (laughs) Racism. It's a racist hat. Yeah, it's a racist hat. Don't wear it. I'd also, I'm gonna put this out there, and this might be a little bit more controversial, but I'm gonna need white people who are progressive allies to stop wearing the like mock MAGA hats. The red like hat. Make, make, make America whatever again. Like, you know, make America Black Lives Matter again. If you wear that on a red hat, honestly, from like a good 12 feet away, I'm scared of you. Right. It, that's a type of irony. It's like when they tried to do the um, the Charlottesville Tiki Torch um, installation in New York, that comedy. They, they did a spoof of it in yes. New York. And it's like, no, no, no. You white people can't make fun of other races. White people, because we can't tell the difference visually. Right. We can't tell. from a, If I'm crossing the street, it just looks like there are racists here now. Because no, they, the other, it's not like... It's not like those people were like, it's not like the cops swooped in and, and, and hemmed them up like the Avengers would. Those people, yeah. they had that whole protest and took over the city and dispersed. That's it. So yeah. there's no reason to think that it's not, there's no reason to think that it couldn't happen in any other city because they didn't get stopped at all. I think one or two of them got arrested for shooting at and killing people, but that's it. The entire mass of them can be anywhere. So you can't yeah. spoof something that wasn't addressed or stopped if it's terrible and it still exists. You spoof things that have stopped. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't spoof yeah. something that is still a threat and a danger. Right you now. can't have no more Make America Shrugs again, Make America Great Britain again, Make Radiohead great again. Like, no. 
Listen. Just stop it. The institution of the red hat has been destroyed. And if you are a lover of red hats, then you should then you should make it a point to fight against whatever. Like I said, then you are now a liberal person. You are now an anti-racist. Even if you don't care about black people, your red hat makes you look like a racist now. Yep. So yes, you can does. you can fight on behalf of marginalized people in America everywhere or just fight for your red fucking hat. Yeah. Either or. Any point of entry is fine. Just understand your red hat. If you're white and wearing a red hat, we are any black person is giving you a wide berth. Mm-hmm. You wonder why all are not fucking with you. Like it's that's nope. Right. No. If wondering no. why if you're wondering why the black people are clutching are clutching their purses when they walk by you is because of your hat. You're wearing the yep. racist hat. You're wearing the racist hat. Doesn't matter what it says on it. Nope. Just stop doing that. It's just like it's the same as like you can't dress up as a clan member for Halloween. It's just not please don't do that. Right. That's just you don't get to do that. Right. We didn't like we It's terrifying and it reminds us of a horrific violent past and present. The clan wasn't the clan hasn't been stopped. The no, clan, they're still around. Right. They're considered mm-hmm. yeah, they're the clan still exists. So you have to that's what I mean. You have to, if you're going to be something problematic, you have to be something that either doesn't exist or has been stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, wanna, oh, go on. yeah, you want to like stop, like you want to be like a, a, an offensive person from the past. Dress up as Marie fucking Antoinette. <laughs> She's long dead. They did. Yes. Go for it. We don't want to do it in France. I don't know what their thoughts on, on the matter, but at least here you can do that. It's fine. And you know what? I realize this might bear saying is that we haven't solved our racism. No. Because I realize some people they may they spoof racism thinking that we've solved racism. So I'm here to tell you that we have not solved racism at all. You can't spoof racism. If you're a white person, you can't spoof it. No. You no, can't. No. There's no there is no more satire. This is this is the problem with the onion now 80% of the time. Yeah. Is now you can no longer spoof. There is no more satire for racism as we have not solved our racism as it has gotten worse. And we have like a like a talking onion headline for president. Yes. And so we just you can't it's it's like the end of that kind of of humor. Right. Our president doesn't know how anything works. Global warming, catering. Do you know that the president of the United States spoke to our armed forces about the stealth bomber? Do you know that he thinks that it is invisible? Wait, Not like know. invisible. I saw this on Samantha B. Wait, he thinks what is invisible? That the that the stealth bomber is invisible. And not to radar. Like you might say, no, he means like invisible to radar. No, no, no. He thinks that you can't see it with the naked eye like it is invisible. Like it's wearing the Harry Potter invisibility cloak or it's like the 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 weird carrier in the avengers he thinks it's invisible i'm gonna ask i hate to make you repeat yourself but say that again literally my brain is not retaining the information the president thinks what is invisible the stealth bomber like a plane that cannot be detected on radar he thinks that it's invisible 
it can go invisible to the naked eye. No, the stealth, the stealth, it's, it, it's, it's undetectable by radar. The, no, it's actually, it's the F-35. So the F-35 fighter, which was that, um, so I'm sorry, it was not the stealth bomber. That right. apparently is very visible and it's big and black. But the F-35, which is that like $3 trillion boondoggle plane that doesn't work. Right. He thinks that, and here I'm going to quote him. This is, I hate quoting him, by the way, because it just, it's hard for me to wrap my mouth around this kind of ignorance, but I'm going to give it a shot. This is an incredible plane. It's stealth. You can't see it. Okay. So like you might be saying like you as in the proverbial like radars and like our like technology can't see it. So when I talk to even people from the other side, they're trying to order our plane. They like the fact that you can't see it. I said, how would it do in battle with your plane? They say, well, we have one problem. We can't see your plane. That's a big problem. Stealth, super stealth. The best in the world. We make the best military equipment in the world. Also remember this, jobs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he, said, he also later described it to the Coast Guardsmen in Puerto Rico last year. The F-35 was almost like an invisible fighter. You can't see it. You literally can't see it. It's hard to fight a plane you can't see. He thinks it's invisible. He thinks that it is an invisible plane. That um, is all. Uh, um... So like we can't, <laughs> there's no more room for like parroting ignorance anymore. We don't. That's... Mm, yep. Yeah. That Invisible plane. That makes me sad. Like uh, the, the worst thing about, like, I hate to say this, but the one of the worst things about this presidency is just being embarrassed as an American. Like, I understand, yeah. like, he's the worst of the worst people. Like, I don't think highly of rich white politicians anyway. I don't. But he's the worst of the worst people who I give no benefit of the doubt to in the first place. I expect only the worst thing from American white rich male American politicians. I do. And he's the worst of those people. And it's just by a long shot. And it's like, just I, and I don't know why you'd want to wear a hat to commemorate this man. Well, because he says he's I mean he sticks up for the racism. Like his whole existence is bottom was lowest common denominator and those people are empowered and it's great. Like I used to always, you know, I always say all politicians, like the, 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 the politicians that gain the most, that have the most, have the passionate followings usually have people who are really clinging to whatever they learned in freshman political science. Sure. And whatever they learned at 18 in two semesters, they want it to be the prevailing understanding of American politics until they are dead. And if anyone, anyone tickles that, then they will adhere to that person. And um, no one makes you feel better about being an American than a whole ass president who who's who essentially everything you've learned up to the 10th grade is completely valid for the rest of your life, according <laughs> to Donald Trump. And that must make you feel really good to not have to try under any circumstances. Yeah, like there's no there's no challenging. It's just 
like appealing to the worst, worst of everybody. It's, I mean, it, it, and I think that it's like, the trouble is that it, it, we can, you know, like disregard, especially those of us on coasts and things can disregard a lot of the MAGA hat wearing people. Like, I don't really know if anyone within like a 50 mile radius of San Mateo is wearing a MAGA hat. It's San Mateo. But I do think that like, it's, it is about like white folks who are are supposed uh, progressive allies understanding that like you can't even attempt to conjure this this is this is part of what has been taken away from you is your ability to actually do whatever white ass shit you want to right the stakes are too high now it is it's terrifying out there and we need all of our allies to come correct and 100 percent in support of those who are the most vulnerable right so don't this isn't a joke this isn't a game shit ain't funny we can make those jokes right because we already know that we're under the thumb you could opt out at any moment you could literally fly into like whatever backwater where everybody's wearing a maga hat they hand them out the airport and go ahead and blend on in but like we can't we can't have that here it's not funny it's not a joke if you're at it like a uh you're listening to this and you're at a mostly white school, but you can consider yourself progressive. Like I went to a school like that, small liberal arts school, mostly white. Everyone's very progressive, never would vote for Trump, but this would be a funny joke. It's not a funny joke. The 12 black people on campus hate you right now. You need to take it off and uh, apologize. Stop wearing Make America Great Again hats ironically and stop wearing Make Radiohead Great Again mock parody hats right end of rant <laughs> so i've been watching uh actually a lot of tv lately what? which is weird i know i know i've been running i've been running things like in the background while i'm like tidying or doing paperwork or whatever and i didn't realize that there was this new genre of show that i so love and i think just because there were two of them. I'm just going to call it the fire festival genre. (laughs) (laughs) I have loved every minute of both the Hulu and the Netflix fire festival documentaries (laughs) (laughs) so much because it's such a hot, there's, it's just such a hot mess. I don't know why anybody is going along with this dude. (laughs) What's his name again? I'm always forgetting his name. Billy McFarland. Billy McFarland whose smile gives me the creeps and I just watching the descent into just a complete catastrophe is um, I don't, I, I, I find it um, enthralling and trashy. <laughs> it's my, it's like my, my version of like watching, like, I don't know, real housewives or something. I just, did you watch them? Yeah, of course I did. I watched both of them. They was fascinating. Because it was like it was like the horror genre. My favorite thing about horror movies is it's the only movie where bad white decision making results in their murder or their destruction. <laughs> Usually, every other genre of movie is white people doing whatever and having it work out for them. Only in horror movies does it not work out for them. It's my favorite genre, and it's yeah. like it's like a it's like that genre brought to life where their poor decision making doesn't work out <laughs> at all for anyone involved. 
It's and it's actually kind of like a contemporary horror movie where well at least so the Hulu one was more of a contemporary horror movie where any of the black characters were like, that shit ain't gonna work. <laughs> I'm not going in there. Right. The second one, the Netflix one, was a bit more of the traditional horror movie where like the first person the person to get incredibly dicked over and murdered immediately was the black lady who had to feed everybody and was out like fifty thousand dollars. Right. Like yeah. that was that was not good. No, no. So that's like old, new horror, old horror, but still just horror. And oh. just like the girl, I just, I keep hearing the poor girl that starts crying on the bus when they pull up to yes. the. Yes. Just start sobbing. Because I, I can imagine <laughs> that they had to speak, they had to talk that girl into coming. I mean, probably. she probably had the infinite money. I mean, it may not have, may not have. I mean, I assume from that reaction that she was she was kind of uh talked into coming and then this is she might have been one of the few people that were like oh there's no actual pictures <laughs> there's no yeah. pictures or any type of footage or any type of making of or anything to make us no, no communications about what's happening and uh i just i and i also can't the thing that this is so as someone who has uh planned events for a living um i just there were professionals involved who some of them were flagging things and then were fired, which was amazing. The Dutch guy who was like, yeah, this isn't, you just, you can't, there's nowhere for people to shit. Right. Like we, there's nowhere for people to shit. This is not going to work. Right. They're like, yeah, we're going to ask you to leave. Thank you so much for your input and your time. Please right. go back to the Netherlands. Um, and we're going to bring on somebody else. And it's like the somebody else who gets brought on where I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and why do you think you can fix this? Just the 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 audacity of like not understanding how time works and how supplies work and how you can't like no one was backward mapping. Everyone was just like caught up in the hype, which fascinates me. I was like, but it it's the type of thing. Maybe it like I said, maybe it is cultural differences. Is it, when as a black person, when you hear of anything, any pie in the sky plan, the first thing you think of is how can this happen, even if it's not yours. So, like, even if you were like, yo, we got this hover car, and you were like, you're not in the market for a hover car. You're not right. going to buy one of those motherfuckers anyway. So, you're just loosely hearing about it on the side, on the internet. And you're, like, thinking, how can that be? And that's the first question we ask is, how is a hover car going to work? And then you wind up going down a rabbit hole over the technology is there and what's going to happen. And then you wind up, you figure it out for yourself. And this is just anything, anything we're presented to us. Anything. So we're gonna have I'll, I'll, the, only, the only person who's who's the mystery in that is Ja Rule. Ja Rule. Nick, what were you doing there? Well, Ja Rule, he was trying to scam people. Yeah. He's out. He, he was out. Well, he was trying to scam people in the way scams work. I used right. to I used to always make that joke that if I was ever gonna have a drug empire, it would be employed. It would be filled almost entirely wall to wall with white people, so that nobody would get caught. <laughs> so right. So if I just had a drug empire, it just is like. The the goal of in the business plan is uh, sell drugs, staff white people. Right, and I imagine that Ja Rule, in his effort to scam, thought that he would you know take you scam the way you're the way you use you use white smiling white faces to scam people. He's totally in on it, even though you know he'll act he'll he'll distance himself if pressed. He definitely was in on the scam, and he was scamming essentially the right way. He just over scammed. The original, well, I, the original, I mean, what? Well, just in the end of the, the, um, 
I don't remember which one it was now, if it was the Hulu one or if it was the Netflix one, where they have the team meeting mm-hmm. where it's basically like, we're not firing anybody, but we're asking you never to work here again. Yeah. Um, we're just not going to pay you at all for at anything. All. You're anything. still You're still employed. But you're not getting paid by us, and we don't want you to come back here any longer. And in that call, they, they, Jaw is on the line, and they're like, but are, what are we going to do about the fact that we lied? And Jaw Rule literally says, like, no, nah, it wasn't a lie. It was just um, the false advertising. <laughs> There's no fraud, right? And then somebody was like, "Actual, actual, like that. That's, that's actually fraud. That's that's fraud. That is the that definition, is definition of fraud. You lying and committing a fraud, right? So yeah, yeah. It just and then of course there's everyone's hero who is the um the event coordinator who was willing to perform oral sex on the border. The, the customs agent so yes. that they could get all of their avion water now yeah. i don't know about you but if i owned a company and i needed i needed to to plan for an event i would hire him immediately <laughs> immediately that man is ride or die he goes all the way in like i realize like he has to he has to be he has to be getting more work because of this like out of everyone that came out everyone came out of this worse except for him because he is now the face of loyalty in America. Like, he is bought in. Like, if you need someone to buy, he is the example of what you, I need you to buy in like this fellow. Yes, yes. And, I mean, it shows, and there's so many things embedded in that. So, there's just, like, the blatant homophobia and, like, like anti-queer sentiment from the people that he is working with. They're like, you're our gay friend. You right. do gay shit gay shit to us is blowing anybody for whatever reason right and it's like no then that's not why he did it and i want to be clear that that is not why he did it he didn't do it just because he was gay and was looking for any excuse to give a blowjob <laughs> that's not how sex works <laughs> it was for a quid pro quo and so they didn't have the money so he was he needed to get the water Period end of story. He didn't wake up that morning and just like, really, I wonder which border customs agent I can blow today. That is not what happened. <laughs> he just needed to get the job done. Now, the Billy McFarland is a dick and is basically like, we need you to do this because you're gay and that's what gay people do. He's a dick. Right. But um, Andy King, who is the guy who was willing to do it, was just like, look, I'm, I'm going to just overlook all of that. But if that's what we need to do to get bottled water for our festival goers, that is exactly what I will do. And then luckily, of course, he shows up and then the guy's like, no, 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 no. We just just make sure you pay us. Right. Here's money. Make sure we're the first that you pay when you get all your money. I want to hire him. I will never ask him to do anything like that. But he's willing to go the extra mile. Shout out to you, Andy King. If we had the money, we would hire you to coordinate Unreasonable Fridays Live. Yes. Because we and know we will we're never, never, ever never ask you to do anything illegal, immoral, never. unethical, abusive. We'll just be like, do you think, what do you think it would take to make this happen? We would trust your expertise. We would pay you in installments. 
and give you lots of booze at the end. <laughs> right. It might be five dollar installments because we don't have any money. But Patreon, y'all. I mean, you know, maybe if we have money, we'll just give him that big ass Buick. Give him the Buick. I ain't driving no goddamn Buick. Hey, that Andy King, we will give you a Buick that someone might give us in the future. <laughs> now we sound like now we sound like Billy McFarlane. I know. I know. <laughs> That's how the scam happens. <laughs> See, we don't have a Buick yet, but we totally will. We told we asked one of our listeners to buy us a Buick, and when that person gets the Buick, it's as good as yours. What do you say, Andy? Yeah, what do you say? <laughs> Do we have the Buick yet? Well, no, but I mean, we already put the call out there, so right. it's definitely happen. We have enough listeners. A thousand yeah. a week, no problem. A thousand. Out there of the, is someone out there someone... who might or might not be listening, who might or might not have a Buick. Listen, there's just a fraction of people out there who have Buicks that they want to send to us. They just haven't done it yet. It's just statistics. It's just statistics. There is a probable. There's probability that that could happen. <laughs> but is it likely? We're not talking about likelihoods. We're talking about probability. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. When you walk up to someone, you go, do you believe? Because <laughs> I believe. I believe. And that's going to see me through. Yep. So you can get past your own negativity by believing. Just believe it. Just believe it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think uh, any black people went. I was uh, sniffing around. Apparently, no black people went. Lot there were like, no, there. There was no black people. Went. A black person. I was asking around. It, there was even someone had someone on Twitter said that the they their like their brother was friends with one of the guys who went. Okay. But that's as far as I've gone. I didn't. I've not known any black people that have gone because I was saying I would I would watch a documentary about the two black people that went to Fire Festival because I want to know their story because it's totally different. That's that's totally different. I imagine it's a totally different experience from the white kids. I just want to see. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I also think that like, I mean, even if there were like a handful of black people there, let's be clear what that what these documentaries are about is the oldest the oldest scam and system in the book which is we just watched like a microcosm of colonialism hmm. white dude has an idea brings in a bunch of white resources into a black space like we're gonna make this happen extracts as much value as possible from that space and then leaves takes all of the benefit of that and leaves people to clean up the mess that's that's all that's what the that's what fire festival was so as much as there is this sense of like oh those white people had what was coming to them it's actually like more sinister when you think about it as just a model of like microcolonialism, because that's how colonialism works right and there are plenty of like white folks who would do this all over the place in the 18th century that you just go down to some island off the coast of South Africa. Hmm. Be like, this is where we're going to build a plantation and get a bunch of invested money into the place and half build it. And then it doesn't actually work out. And then like a storm comes and wipes it out and then they just leave. And there's a bunch of enslaved black people there and they either died or who cares and bye. Right. Here's a cheese sandwich. 
Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there are any. I don't think there are any black people there. I mean, except Jabril. Was he even there? He Did he even go. go? He didn't go. There were he didn't go, right? No, he would, there were some black people in the promotional video in that party video they shot to advertise the thing, but there were no yeah. actual black people that actually want it. Would seem Ja Rule definitely did not go. Um, yeah, yeah, it was just uh, there were black people there who were serving white people and black people standing aside, shaking their heads, right, black with their people. arms crossed, like. Right. And um, I like that the very first black person that Billy McFarland asked from the island is like, so you're here. You're from here. What do you think? What are the odds? What do you think? And he's like, it's not going to work. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. It's not. And Billy McFarland was like, yeah, no, it, we can make it happen. And he was like, no, no, you just asked me and I just told you. Right. I don't know how we can fix the scourge. That isn't just whiteness, but the obsession with hope and fairness from white people that governs their decisions, even in the face of just hard data. Someone that spent their whole life in a place, can we do this thing here? And they go, no, flatly, no. Well, I think that that actually gets to the real crux of what one of the problems is between white people and not white people is that when a black person opens their mouth with an opinion, especially an expert opinion, that is not considered valuable data. Huh. So I think that, and that's something that I've experienced in workplaces, um, especially in places where there's a value that the way that the, that the, the data is defined as quantitative versus qualitative data, mm-hmm. quantitative data being sort of like numbers from a survey or numbers of, you know, looking at counting your staff or counting, you know, the identities of the staff, counting your de- demographics, whatever it's counting. It's using math mm-hmm. you can plug into, um, you know, make a, 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 a chart and Google sheets with, <laughs> And then you actually have the spoken qualitative experiences of your employees. And there just isn't a way to capture that data in a quote scientific method. And so it's just considered irrelevant or anecdotal. Whereas it's actually valuable. But that, but, and so but I it, think that's what it is. Right. But anecdotal, depending upon the position, is very important. Because, like, yeah. if you have no stories, like if you just land on an island, you don't have an anecdote they have so it's like all the data is valuable data someone on the island isn't making in fact you're making something up what you want to do is made up what the person is telling you is which is just as good as facts because they're now they now have more hard data than you in that sentence you're drawing on napkins and spending your money and they came at you with hard hard facts immediately while serving you food and drinks they're the doctor of the island yeah. But it's also like like what like coming to somebody who is an expert in like events, like staging events on an island, their data isn't anecdotal. It comes from experience. Right. They probably have books. Right. Where you could like talk through like what needs to happen. But because he doesn't have it in front of him, he doesn't need to because he's done it. And he could say, like, nah, it's not gonna work. And like that's not 
unreliable. And if it was, why are you asking him? Why are you asking somebody you think is unreliable? And this is why, like, I get so mad <laughs> when, when it's like you ask somebody it it's and I'll, anybody does this. It doesn't have to like have to do with with race per se. It's about like you ask somebody who has an expert opinion about something. They give you an answer you don't want to hear, and then you're like, I don't think that's it. Right. Stop doing that. <laughs> this is a human. This is a human request. That is a human request. And and I, and I say that even to myself because I do that to my poor husband all the time. He will say something that I know is true, but I'm like, I don't believe that. No, it isn't. And then it turns out that it is. And mm -hmm. it drives him wild. He's <laughs> like, why is it you don't believe me when I tell you this thing? Because I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and that sucks. And I should not do that. And none of y'all should do that either. I mean... It is anno it is annoying to have because the thing about it is the hard hard data pushes whatever idea you had this out immediately and it's annoying having your idea destroyed on site. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah, but you just have to be willing to accept that your idea will be destroyed on site. Yes, have other and ideas. I think that, like, having like you might have like a complete vision of throwing your fire festival concert. You can see it so clearly in your head. The only barrier, the, the thing about this that was so ridiculous is that really the only barrier to this thing happening was the timing. If they had actually, they could have raised enough money to pay for this thing. Right. They just wanted, he's like, I want to do it in April, which is in four months. It's like, but why? That's random. Yes. Random. Like, why not next April? Well, it turns out that he actually defrauded a whole bunch of people and promised them something. And that's why it had to be April. But like. It just, yes. It was just. It's the, it's, the, it's the nature of the it's the nature of these scams, even like something like FanCon. Oh, right. God. Is if you if you weren't if you weren't trying to scam people, you'd have a great idea, and now other good ideas are ruined because of your scamming. Right. And and I want to be clear to what scamming is. Because I think plenty of people do this stuff and they're like, because they aren't sitting and twirling a mustache, <laughs> they're not scamming. <laughs> they're not like an evil villain twirling a mustache. And it's like, no, a scam could be something as simple as like something needs to happen and something in your head says, yeah, that'll, that's something that'll take care of itself. If you're thinking that, you're scamming. Right. Your job as a creator, as an idea person, is to um, problem solve. Yes. If you refuse to problem solve yet persist on asking for money, you're a mm -hmm. scammer. Yes. You're scamming. Just in case you were checklisted, like, I don't want to be a scammer. But if you're planning something and when people give you and you're the person that's responsible for it, someone comes up to you and like, hey, how about this? And you, the more you blow off. You're persisting in asking for payment that makes you a bigger scammer in relation yeah. to the amount of things you're blowing off. Right. Because you want the money part, but you don't want to do the other thing. Right. You don't want to do it. And actually, it's okay if you don't want to do certain things. Bring on help and have them do it. Right. You know, find out where your strengths are. Is your strength literally just being the hype man for this and raising money? Then right. that should be your job and hire somebody to actually project manage the shit. Yes. Stop trying to think that you can do it just because you're like, I'm smart. I can do this. 
I really don't want to. And so I'm just going to put it off till later. But because I'm smart, I can make this work. Right. I'll just do it. Like, I'll just do it later. Right. No, that's a scam. You're scamming. You're scamming yourself and you're scamming other people. Right. It's just like this, like this layers of lies. Own up what you can and can't do. You can't like one person can't put it like organize a whole fire festival. Right. You can't. No. The no, the, can't. the very premise and the thing about it is, the, even if it was for ten people, the fact yep. that one man is doing it would be strange. Like if this was some rich person's birthday party, and it was still just yep. one person, I'd be very confused. Like yep. this is one person. I mean, we're on the island. Apparently, you're getting like a band or two. We're gonna have this, that, and a third. Does the does the island have infrastructure? We're gonna feed how many people? We're gonna feed twenty five people. It's just you planning the whole thing. And we're going to an island. How are we gonna get there? Like, it, there's so much stuff that you would need help. Just the just the scale. Just the idea. If they pared this down to one percent of the initial plan, he would need staff. Sure. I mean, and the thing is, he had. I mean, there was staff. But oh no, not, not oh not real staff because so many there were so many um, blind spots between the yeah. staff and Billy that it was like he had. I, I, I consider that it was like having no staff at all because they don't know any. There are there are important things that they don't know, right? And there are important things you're absolutely withholding, which is also why transparency is so important, right? Right, and everybody, uh, you know, transparency is. If you are doing everything to the best of your ability above board, be transparent about it. Because first of all, you, you've hired a bunch of people who you trust and hopefully have expertise and strengths that you don't have. So they could take a look at your your plan and offer feedback. You know, I don't think that's going to work. We could do this then, whatever, 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 to make sure that you're like you're doing the best that you can do. And, you know, and the other thing is that you can't have you know, like with transparency, it's if you feel like being transparent is going to somehow show people that you're not as good as what you say you are, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. Right. Because the insecurity is going to be your downfall. Like always ask for help. Always. And this is when we get to the whiteness of it all. <laughs> because What's his name? I can never remember his name. Billy McFarland. Billy Mc. I mean, how about Captain McFuckface? Captain McFuckface. I mean, you can. I mean, whatever the entry point is, you can call him whatever. He's earned Captain all the McFuckface, names. Billy McFarland. Um. Right. So like he he basically like bullshitted his way through all kinds of investors and what was it? Fuck Jesse. What was the name of the? Fuck Jerry. Which also just like the whitest name, white, white dudest name of a company ever. Fuck Jerry. Fuck Jerry Media Company. <laughs> stop it. Right. Um, stop. Um, but like it was really, you know, he whatever gaps were in there, he just like the the whiteness is what protected him. And this let this be a warning, actually, to you fellow white people. <laughs> You white people. There's there are sociopaths amongst you. Yeah. Don't let their whiteness trick you. Because they're already tricksy enough, right? Yes. They're already tricksy enough. Don't let the whiteness blind you be like, well, he's a stand-up white man, so therefore, I mean, I can't tell you how many people in this documentary were like, oh, he was a, you know, he's a smart kid and he, you know, like started his own business selling 
candy bars or whatever it was. When really, like, I love that they use the example of him, like, like selling stuff when he was in school. You ever see them black kids out trying to sell candy? Right. First thing that like white would be like, I don't know. I don't trust the scam. Right. It's like, no, they're, what if they're just little entrepreneurs? Black people don't get afforded that. Right. White people do. Yeah. And yeah, the, I'm sure the vast majority of white people, kids who are selling candy bars or whatever, trying to make start their own business, are not doing that. Just like the vast majority of black people aren't either. Yeah. We do not get afforded that luxury. We get the we get afforded the luxury of suspicion. <laughs> white people get afforded the luxury of take all of my money. Yes, they get several. They get the benefit of every possible doubt. Every possible doubt. So watch your back, white people. Watch your back. Because the 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 white dude who's who's got the like. I'm gonna say it's a five dollar smile, but y'all may see it as a five million dollar smile. I don't know. His smile freaks me out. But like, <laughs> Billy McFuckface. Yes, Billy McFuckface's smile is terrifying. But if if that's winning you over and you haven't seen any receipts, think to yourself: Am I trusting him because he's white? I mean, there's nothing winning about his appearance except that he is just going through the motions of what people appear to be a winning appearance. Yeah, he's a tall white man. He's a tall white man. He sometimes wears a suit and he smiles. Yep. And that is enough. And that shouldn't be enough, guys. And I found in the, in the Netflix uh, version, I found him to be deeply underwhelming. Right. They had the interview with him. And he was, or the Hulu version. The Hulu I'm sorry. version had him sat him down, yeah. And I just found him to be, and maybe this was just, you know, the trick of the editing. But there was nothing profoundly persuasive about this guy. He sounded like he was running a scam. Um, I've met scammy white people before, and they've had some gra- I, I hate to say this. Um, you ever see an interview with David Stern, the old NBA commissioner? Uh, no. If you ever look at him, he is a scammer. He looks like a scammer. He looks like he orders. He looks like he orders people around. He looks like he wields, throws his weight around. He looks like he blocks people. He looks like he blocks and obstructs and oh, just yeah, generally okay. kind of a curmudgeon. Yep. But when you listen to him talk, you can see why someone would, he's not magnetic or anything, but he's amusing. You know what I mean? Like Billy McFarlane yeah. looks like you should arrest him. You know what I mean? And a lot of people like, like Billy, he, he looks, he has a punchable face and a lack of any type of gravitas. You know what I mean? So it's like, he doesn't even appear to be like an evil villain. You know, like sometimes you meet evil, you meet fucked up people and they're aware that they're fucked up. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And and even in that, there's something to hold. There's something to, to see there. You go, oh, this person's a monster, but they're aware of it. That's kind of interesting. It's intriguing to watch. There's nothing. Billy McFarlane is a blank slate filled with scam. He's nothing. There's nothing there but scamming. Bloated sack of scam. Of scam. <laughs> and there's no, there's no presence. Like, he thinks he's doing, he doesn't know what he's doing either. Like, he doesn't sound like. He he sounds he doesn't sound like he's aware he's he's not willing to own that he's a scammer. Well, no, because he also has some kind of compulsive problem. Right. Because he literally got arrested, and when he was out on bail, he started emailing another scam. Right. And it was a scam. It was a scam based on someone who was just living in the who was in the penthouse with him. So the very yeah. person that was scamming was just in the house. He didn't even like see it, and like he wasn't like triangulating. It wasn't like the person was across the country representing him quietly. It was just a dude in the house sending emails and calling from his living room yep <laughs> with scams. Oh, that, like wild penthouse like just 
floor to ceiling glass windows. What are we doing? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I just I think I I I think the bottom line with the with the fire festival is this that like like tr don't just trust white people, especially ones that are like fast talking. Right. My grandfather would always say like, "Why are you talking so fast? You got something to hide? Why don't you take a breath?" <laughs> um, and and I think that it's like the 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 pit the pitfalls of of trusting white people is is one of the lessons of fire festival also just if you haven't watched it watch it through the eyes of colonialism and tell us what you see that's all i saw it's extracting wealth from local brown people to give to white people <laughs> period all right. I think I'm done talking about Fire Festival. You have anything else? Um, there is nothing that immediately comes to mind Excellent. about the Fire Festival. Oh, wait, no. Rip the Fire app, which is actually very good. A very good idea that got caught up in the fire. The actual Fire app where you actually just yeah. contact and you just actually contact actual entertainers and people. Yeah. And actually, like, the idea was sound. Yes. And yes, if he had just had a regular party... Yep. with a guest or two for the yep. app yep. and that app would have made them several million dollars and paid for a festival which is kind of the thing about the scammers that bugs me it's like if you could scale it within yes. reason you would then make a lot of money right so the thing that's the thing about the, the Man. it's like it, some of the, sometimes you're, the scamming defeats itself like if you want money well like i said you don't want money you're not if you're doing that, then you don't want money. There's something else that you want, which is totally fair. You don't, your money is not the objective. You're no. trying to achieve something internal, something that you see, something that you desire. You're so trying yeah. to fill the gaping chasm of emptiness in the pit of your soul. Right. Whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. If you just plan it out, like that's, I mean, and, and I think that that's also like part of that is the, like people don't want to have to do, I used to tell, um, uh, like work when I was working for, you know, sort of like more fun jobs. So I like worked at the Getty or like working at places that's like the sound good on paper jobs. Mm -hmm. And then you get to these jobs and then you end up just like most of the stuff that you have to do in your job is just like mundane office shit that everybody has to do. And it's, you're going to do that in any job that you have. It's going to be like, if you're lucky, 60% bullshit and 40% fun stuff. Right. That's if you're lucky. That's right. a fun ass job. If you're at a 60, 40, most of the time it's like 80, 20, 90, 10. Yep. And that's in a fun job. Right. Your regular old run of the mill. I just need to get my check and get out of here. Yeah, we're talking like 99.9.1.1% fun. Right. But I think it's just it's a reality check for folks that like any job that's worth doing is going to have a whole lot of things that you don't want to do that are boring, that are like the things that you hate, whatever that is. Like, I hate having meetings. I hate them. But, you know, eyes on the prize. I got to have meetings <laughs> to make sure that this stuff happens. We got to get everybody in the room. You got to plan. You got to, um, you know, plan for poop. Yep. Also, like the reason why I hate meetings is is really just when I'm not running them. 
because I hate wasted time of people talking in circles for 20 minutes and then we don't actually have a conclusion. Like, let me run the meeting and then we're actually going to have some answers. Everyone's going to have a to-do list. Now let's get the fuck out of here in 45 minutes. Now that's a total tangent that I don't know if we want. Now this is, if you want to go into this for an, an, a total tangent about how a lot of the work, a lot of work that we have to do is centered around like intentional inefficiency so that we can yeah. say that we work like we're at the point now where a lot of jobs that we have to do um don't take the whole eight to ten hours that we are working oh they never do are you kidding right and because uh, so much stuff is 40 hours a week <laughs> right but they're do they're but they're in the office and certain things like in the interest of just making them inefficient so that there's more time spent almost creating a grind for certain professions, if everyone respected everyone else's position and experience, they would be working for 19 hours a week. They might generate the same $1 million, but mm-hmm. they might actually just be working for 19 hours a week. And t- an extra 30 hours a week is just spent haggling, hassling each other in because that's considered like hard work in this country where we need to work our 40 to 40 to 60 hours and almost die at work even though several things are automated and lots of there are lots of professions that have a lot of money swirling around for effectively very little work objectively where the work actually the best way to put it the work was the training for you to be able to do the work in the first place right and i want to take off the table folks who are like nurses like people who are like because I think it's a different I don't I don't know what the what the ratio of like bullshit to actual like like good work and joy is there but I imagine it's different than in just like an office job but I think that it probably still has like that element of of inefficiency for sure but specifically talking to just like your run of the mill you go to work punch in punch out kind of office job where we've been trained where you you work 40 hours a week plus whatever overtime you spend because you feel like you got to get your project done and i mean so when i was working on my dissertation i did a lot of work trying to figure out when my like peak efficiency times were because i had to i had to i had to get this done and i had to work in such a way that i was maximizing how efficient i was and the thing that i learned through both experience and research is that the human brain can only like be creatively productive, like generative of new ideas for about anywhere between two and a half to four hours a day. Right. That's it. That is it. And four hours is like, that's pushing it. Like that's a remarkable day. It's normally around two and a half hours of new generative ideas. And then you've got attention for maybe like another hour or so of like emailing level brain activity right and then you got to just like shift gears altogether right then you can like you know do chores around the house that's what i discovered was that like i could work if i could get like three hours in of generative work time i could do an hour of editing time that's all my brain could do that was it that's it and then the rest of the day is spent like you know yeah doing dishes laundry going to the gym. Right. And that's, and the thing is when I would work from home at my last job, this is quite the tangent, isn't it? <laughs> I, would I, work mean, at home. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's an interesting conversation because with the amount of time, like I said, the amount of time we're forced to sit around because that is what work requires is staggering. And this is across several professions. So it's good to talk about it, but go on. 
so like when I would work, I worked from home at my last job um, one day a week because I was um, when I when I returned from maternity leave after having Arthur, um, that was the deal was like, I'm going to work from home one day a week um, as my way of like transitioning back into the office. And um, when I work at home, I'm not distracted by people coming up to me at my desk. We had an open office. And people would always come up to me, hey, Dasha, um, I can talk to you about that, all that. And um, and it just became like a it just was a, a constant distraction. Like even when I would work in the office, I would go and hide. I would book times in the conference rooms to just work by myself huh. because I needed down work. I also spent a lot of time just like blocking my calendar. We had a culture at work where people would just put something on your calendar if they wanted to meet with you. And I would block my calendar so that I made sure that I had like time built in for me to work on my own projects. Also, most of the time when someone would put something on my calendar, I would just go over to them. Send them I'd send them a quick reply to the, to the invite say like, Hey, do you have a few minutes to talk about this? Oh yeah. Come on over. So I'd go over. And we talk about what the meeting was supposed to be about. And in the five minutes that we would talk, we would solve the problem. And then there was no need for a meeting. Right. People just think that, like, you got to put an hour long meeting on something to feel like you're accomplishing right. something. Yeah. What are you actually trying to accomplish? Right. And just looking busy. Right. Uh, actually, yes. Um, the amount of energy spent, um, making sure you appear busy and it's funny because i've seen it and i've experienced it where if you do not if everything goes too smoothly then whoever is some people above you might be like then what the fuck are you doing like mm -hmm. there is no grind like i've produced podcasts for people and there's like i said at some point it's an hour production an hour recording an hour editing and the shows exist the show exists and people have looked at me and, you know, like I've had someone tell me honestly that one hour of podcasting is eight hours of work. And I'd be like, <clears throat> it is to start. Yeah. But and at the end of the day, depending upon the type of what type of show you're doing, it's not always eight hours of work. And no, but because and of that, take less, the more experienced you are. Right. It also depends on the podcast you're doing, right? Right. But, still, but if like yeah. I said, if to say that there was a blanket amount of time that a podcast should take, the amount of work I'm doing should take, and then jamming me up when I'm not taking it without understanding, without even though you're getting a product, this the obsession with the grind mm -hmm. that we have that forces a lot of inefficiency. And it's funny, the it's why it's one of the reasons why we stagnate, why the country itself we have a lack of ideas because we're obsessing over working, the appearance of working. As opposed to actually understanding that we are we are moving faster, so we yep. have more time in the day. Some of us do to make to do different things, but we obsess well, over it. We make everyone work. Everyone has to work. All one the of the goals, right, of like the of the the rapidly like mechanized factory system. One of the goals was so that our you know we so that we don't have to like break our backs working in this factory anymore <laughs> but like we still are caught up in this idea that yeah we have to work our fingers to the bone in order to give our lives value and let's be clear it's to give a certain group of people's lives value because there's plenty of like black folks and brown folks who are working their fingers to the bone and ain't getting paid shit 
and aren't included in the narrative of like you work hard and then you get you know you get to accomplish the american dream i think what i'm actually advocating for is why we should have like the uh minimum universal income because then you know you could do what you want we wouldn't have this value placed on just how many hours you're putting in but just the quality of the work that you do um but if we're not grinding then how are we not lording something over someone else and there's also the problem of like time in general i did a lot of graphic design at my last job and anyone who's done any kind of graphic design production work knows this that there's two assumptions about the work that you do you can either do it really quickly this won't take that long at all or an assumption that it's going to take three years <laughs> to get it done. And every time someone makes one of those assumptions right. who doesn't have experience in graphic design, they're wrong every single time. Oh, this will take no time at all. Uh, no, mm -mm. Mm -mm. no, no. This is a three month long project that you want me to do, you know, or I need this thing um, in like six months, just as soon as you can get to it. It's something you can execute in like five minutes. And so, you know, so like there's this sense of like, how do we like there's just there there isn't enough trust in the expertise of the of the people who do certain things. So you, you have to trust instead of saying this isn't going to take long, you ask, how long is this going to take? Right. <laughs> so that you can actually learn something. But then also, you know, it's I just think there's two there's there isn't enough time spent on the quality of the work. Like who cares? So you get a project, you know, you're able to get this project done, you know, well in two weeks yeah. and it doesn't matter how hard you worked on it. Did you accomplish the goal? You got the project done. Great. <laughs> Let's go do the next project. Right. Shouldn't be sweating and crying for it to have more value. That is exactly how we, that is how we track progress that is how we track each other we 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 that's why humanity doesn't really notice anyone until they explode into blood or tears or both right. we don't we just walk around and everyone thinks everyone is fine until someone actually breaks down so the actual we need that's why we need to work so that we can have the breakdown that we earned as opposed to just working and then just stopping because there's no value to that people don't track it they don't believe you to be a better professional if you're doing that if you're making it easy they are devaluing your work and your presence immediately for some reason. It's just a very American thing that we do. The, easier, the easier time you're having of it, the less we value what you the easier time you have working, the less we value your work. And it just is, it just is how we go about our business. So we, so we all, we spend a lot of energy wasting time chewing up time so that we can say we spent the time working so that we can have a valid work experience so that we can actually get respected for the work we're doing outside of the, instead of the quality of the work, which would be the only um, qualifier for the job you're doing. It's it. It's the only thing you need to is it work good. Yes. Extracting as much labor from people as possible without paying them for it. <laughs> You want to pay people this amount of money, but you really want to extract like double that from any individual. How much we just have to extract as much labor as possible. Yeah.
Yeah, that was quite a that was quite a tangent. We should start like the like the uh, the career a career segment. I mean, Shit it's important. The, the thing is, is like it's something that needs to be said because you hear you, you hear about it in every profession. You know what I mean? Where there's just the amount of time sitting in the office because you have to. The amount of time being in a meeting, 20 minutes too long, the amount of time phone calls could phone calls. And like you have a whole meeting where the whole the point of it was three sentence exchange that could have been a text message, even if not an email. Right. And that's kind of what and it's across several professions now, the amount of time wasted. And there's like a rift now. People who do jobs easier in the same like company will get less respect than the people who appear to be grinding along it just well, is... and let's be clear who is it that appears to be grinding along right and how and how the terms of that grind gets defined is usually by superiors who are typically white and typically male like who is considered to be grinding and who isn't considered to be grinding and who gets rewarded for that grind is also like is not a universal experience right so like it, what ends up happening is that like black and brown folks end up working harder and more because we just need to be at the very least recognized for what we're doing so that we could possibly like get a promotion, get paid more, et cetera. So that's also like, that's the other side of the, of this is that like the grind is something that we have to feed into to a certain extent, especially folks of color, because it's the only way to even try to get a leg up on other people. It's the old adage, you know, like we have to work three times as hard, right? you know, as, as everybody else. I always tell folks just work three times better, <laughs> work smarter, don't work harder. Right. The, obs with that. the obsession. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like work smarter. And, um, but I think that that's, it's, that's part that gets, that is what sets the stage, right? So like an, uh, any work environment typically is dominated by white supremacy culture. Regard, I don't care how progressive you are and how many black and brown kids you help. I, it doesn't matter. Like it's, right. they're dominated by white supremacy culture unless you're, and you are, if you are actively pushing back against it, more power to you, but still the thing you're pushing back against is the status quo. Right. That is the definition of white supremacy, right? And so- if, you know, if you're, if every office is dominated by white supremacy, then the people who are grinding and the people who are working harder are going to typically be, you know, people who are not white. Period. Not white men, especially. Right. And so, like, it's, you know, so it's like the, how do you, the way to interrupt the grind of capitalism and valuing like people's labor over other over um quality is to combat white supremacy culture in the workplace that's the start but then you got to get people to admit that that exists and that's like the hardest thing that white people can do yeah is to even like say the word white is i know is a real tough thing which fascinates me because yeah. you get all the credit in the world like if you ever want to become a civil rights leader real quick, just be a white person and openly acknowledge white supremacy, white supremacy culture. Just openly, yeah. just, just, just find some black folks and be like, white people be crazy. 
And yeah. your privilege will then skyrocket you to the top of the approval, the leaderboard, because that's the nature, that's the power. The white, priv white privilege in this country is so powerful that your awareness of your white privilege will skyrocket you past several people, several, just several individuals, like several black and brown people who are trained, who have, who have written, well-researched, well-read professionals, because yep. you just kind of sort of think that racism is bad and you're willing to say it out loud and mm -hmm. speak on it even slightly so mm -hmm. it's like you can't fail and it's just that's always the thing is like there's this weird resist this strange resistance to something where on both sides on, on on if you go on the right side of history it will still just benefit white people more than everyone else yep that's the nature of people we will we will remember like as a, i know this black marginalized people will applaud at the end of the day when it's all said and done the white people who are on the right side of history. Yeah. So no matter what you're doing, if you say nothing, it will work out. If you say something, it will work out. There's a possibility that if you start driving your car through mobs of people of color, it still might work out. So it's just like, I don't understand this hesitance to just acknowledge, to just acknowledge fact, acknowledge well, history. Well, this is where we get to my I'm plugging uh, a book that I don't have anything to do with. <laughs> but, um, uh, so uh, Robin D'Angelo wrote this really great book called White Fragility. Right. That is the, the definition of white fragility, as she states, is, and I quote, a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. These moves include the outward display of emotions such as anger, fear, and guilt, and behaviors such as argumentation, silence, and leaving the stress-inducing situation. These behaviors, in turn, function to reinstate white racial equilibrium. Period. <laughs> so basically, it's the description of how white people, when black people say, oh, that white person is in their feelings about this, that's what that is. We're describing white fragility. The fact that you even say the word white or white supremacy or white supremacy culture and white folks start getting really upset and stressed out and uncomfortable with the discussion at hand. And it's really because, and this is in the words of Robin D'Angelo, that when it comes to talking about race, white people are children. And she means that in the sense of they are emotionally, intellectually, socially, and culturally under trained, taught, and developed to discuss racial inequities in the United States. Mm. Whereas folks who are not white are fluent in the pedagogy and can teach it if needed, but white folks typically don't listen. So that's why we don't talk to you about it. Hmm. And so there was, and the reason why I'm even, I even got into reading um, uh, her piece on uh, white fragility is that there was actually a big scandal at uh, the American Library Association conference um, where a woman, a black woman was verbally attacked by a white man because she talks about race and inequity in, on her blog. And he literally described to her face in front of a whole room of people that she was his worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And how many white people in that room stood up in her defense? 
Not one. No. No. Well, I not mean, one. She, I mean, yeah. And the irony is that at this very same conference, Robin D'Angelo gave like the keynote speech on white fragility. We should post this actually in the liner notes. I watched it. It's not, they didn't post that specific speech from that conference, but apparently it's very similar to previous speeches she's given and y'all should watch it and then make all your white friends watch it and family members and neighbors. They should just be playing it on a loop on a channel. (laughs) It's incredible because she says all the things that we already know, but in a way that's just like, that's just the truth. The one thing that that stood out to me that she said was that, you know, white folks will often talk about how they don't feel safe (laughs) when in a room talking about race. (laughs) And she literally says, she's like, when white people mention safety in the context of racial dialogue, their opinion is illegitimate. Mm. Period. That's my own. I mean, it is, right? Because, like, it's not about safety because you are not about to get shot dead in the street for talking about race. Like, your proximity to race, to talking about, to a racial dialogue is a different kind of safety than our proximity to racial dialogue. Right. Like, racial dialogue can happen with a bullet. (laughs) That's racial communication right there. But, you know, you're having someone is actually telling you that, like, you said something insensitive in the workplace and you're like, but I didn't mean it. Y'all need to read White Fragility. It is very clear. And it's really the audience for this is progressive white people. Because she claims that it's actually progressive white people that do the most damage to folks of color. Because we operate in, cl- in, in close quarters with each other. And you're constantly, white progressive folks are constantly doing the work of proving how not racist they are. Right. Which is actually a form of racism, y'all. And we can see you when you do it. So, you should read this and get it. She lets you get in your feelings in the book. And explore your feelings. It's, you know, it's something that if you really are committed to being an ally above and beyond just saying that you have, you know, black nieces and nephews or your neighbor's black or you voted for Obama or you watch Scandal or whatever, just read the, like, read the book. Watch the video. We should really post it in that. It's an hour and it's worth it because it's a fellow white lady who also admits that like she's done racist things, even in the recent past, Right. because according to her, all white people are racist. I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to untrain (laughs) yourself. Like I don't, the foundational American education is a, is is other cultures exist but they are not as good as our american culture other people are american but there are some people who are differently human they are all humans but some people are differently human that is found that is like social studies in america well she's a sociologist so she would know so like she's and and i want to be clear when i say that like if i say all white people are racist that doesn't mean that all that it's racism means that you have the institution to back you up 
white supremacy can be upheld by anybody. Black people do this all the time. Black people will hold up white supremacy in colorism or in doing bullshit in the office. <laughs> like it can happen. We try not to, right? And like a lot of, and like, but it's also a learning that we've all experienced as well. But I think that it's important to note that it's, black people can't be racist. Just like a woman can be misogynist, right? But she doesn't, but she doesn't, she still isn't going to benefit from, uh, the assumption of like maleness because she's she's a woman but i think that it's like the but defining white people as racist means that it's just there's work that you constantly need to do and that's what she describes she's like it's a continuum and i need to do this work until i die right because or until society somehow flips and is no longer racist but because she's like i'm real i'm a realist about things right. i don't see that happening in my lifetime in the meantime i'm going to do the work right and the only way that this works is if we all do the work right so that's my plug for white fragility okay give it a look see i personally enjoy it because i like it when white folks yell at other white people i mean use the privilege yeah i mean i i say this all i say this all the time black and brown people are now we're now pre more preoccupied with our survival than we have been over the past mm -hmm. decade so it'd be great if some of y'all white folks were to, you know, just just t just pick up the baton while we're trying not to be killed. Yep. Because yeah, um, be yeah, we're cause it's, it, yeah, the streets are a little less safe than they were four or five years ago, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, Jesse Smollett was just beaten this week. This week, yeah by two assailants and where they put a, a noose over his neck right. called him a nigger called him a faggot yeah so uh, or on him yeah so this fully like homophobic racist attempted lynching in chicago so in the city this wasn't in some fucking <laughs> this wasn't in 1960 oklahoma 2019 Chicago, Illinois. So yeah, it's it's not it's not great out there. So it'd be great if some uh white folks would uh step up. Wanna know where to start? Read White Fragility. Here ended the lesson. <laughs> well, there you go. Um well. What else do you have? Because I know we have, uh, we might have enough time for one more. I mean, I wanted to talk about Ted Bundy, but that might have to wait until. I mean, we can. I mean, the on. Listen, white people being scammed by the smiling white face is an ongoing story, and it's not as we're looking at all these exposés as the Netflix documentary is becoming more and more popular genre, which is like a deep dive into whatever the fuck is happening we're now looking at it and we're now at, at we're we now understand a little better we're looking at things and going oh this person's a scammer this person oh they just let this person cook because they were white they let this person cook because they were white ted bundy yeah. got away with killing people they almost got away with killing people because he was white yep <laughs> yep so you and know like, not even like spectacularly white he was just an ordinary 
just a just mediocre white man. They love the shit out of his medi- mediocre whiteness. They love the absolute shit out of it. Absolutely. Like he escaped from jail twice. Because they were like, well, let's just uh, let's just let him uh, wander around. <laughs> I mean, this is a man. Okay, I'm going to talk about Ted Bundy. So Ted Bundy, <laughs> here's the thing. I love true crime. I love it. I've loved it since I was a wee, and this is real bad, but a wee seven or eight year old girl. I had found, my mom had ordered this, like subscribed to this kind of artsy magazine that had a lot of just like it was like art and poetry and periodically like a local story about like the woods or something but for whatever reason they had this feature one day about the black dahlia my mom hadn't read the magazine yet so it wasn't like she was like here kid read this no i just picked it up and read it because it was interesting and i opened up and there's the black dahlia who was a woman who was murdered back in like night in the 30s um, Elizabeth Short. They never caught the murderer. There's a new show about kind of about the Black Dahlia now, but that was like my intro to like true crime because it wasn't just like a, a murder where, uh, you know, like a, a boyfriend killed a girlfriend. It was like the most monstrous thing I'd ever seen and couldn't imagine what kind of a person could do something like that. <laughs> and so as a result, I became very interested in true crime. So um anytime there are true crime documentaries i just i eat them up some are way better than others this was not one of the great ones so i was i remember ted bundy i'm old enough to remember when um he was killing people and then was was on death row and um you know and and even at the time they described him as like you know he's this quote all-american guy Reed White. He's just he was a white man who was who also happened to be a serial killer responsible for the kidnapping, rape, burglary, and necrophilia and murder of at least 30 women, if not more, across like seven states. Mm-hmm. And so this documentary is about these tapes where a, a writer went, a journalist went in and he was going to try and get a confession from him. And, you know, Ted Bundy wanted it to be like his biography, you know, about his life. But it just turned into this like stage for this ordinary white dude who really liked to murder women. That's it. And how many times he got away with it because people were like, but he's just this nice white guy. Right. Over and over again. He literally so he escaped from prison after being found guilty of murdering women in Utah, kidnapping one woman and murdering another woman in Utah. He escapes from prison, makes it all the way from Utah to Florida, goes on a rampage, murdering two women in a sorority house and bludgeoning two others in the same house nearly to death. And then like six blocks away, bludgeoning another lady to death. And then shortly thereafter, murdering a 12-year-old girl. He's in court. They have found him guilty. And this is what the fucking judge says after he's found guilty. The court finds that both of these killings were indeed heinous, atrocious, and cruel, and that they were extremely wicked, shockingly evil, vile, and the product of a design to inflict a high degree of pain and utter indifference to human life. 
This court, independent of but in agreement with the advisory sentence rendered by the jury, does hereby impose the death penalty upon the defendant, Theodore Robert Bundy. It is ordered that you be put to death by a current of electricity sufficient to cause your immediate death and that current and that that current be passed through your body until you are dead. Right. So like guilty, guilty. We're going to kill you. You're so guilty (laughs) because we're Florida. We're going to electrocute you alive until you are dead. Right. Because you murdered sorority girls in Florida. Right. And this same judge continues. (laughs) There we go. Take care of yourself, young man. (laughs) I say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself. It is an utter tragedy for this court to see such a total waste of humanity, I think, as I've experienced in this courtroom. You're a bright young man. You'd have made a good lawyer, and I would have loved to have you in practice in front of me. But you went another way, partner. I don't feel any animosity toward you. I want you to know that. That is the whitest shit. <laughs> I just want, I need, I just need everybody to just sit with me for a minute. <laughs> this man, and at this point, they already knew that he had been on the run for murders in the Pacific Northwest and Utah. Yeah. They knew this. They had found a whole bunch of bodies in the woods. <laughs> they knew this. Right. This judge literally says i don't feel any animosity toward you no despite the fact that you brutally murdered raped and then defiled the corpses up he stole women's heads and brought them home to his apartment so he could have sex with the heads right i don't feel any animosity toward you right also because the women aren't alive it's fine such a total waste of humanity. Now, after I saw this, I went in and tried my best to find his name was Edward Cowart was the name of the the judge to try and find other cases that he had tried. But I'd be willing to bet, put down good money that he never spoke to any black or brown defendant like this for even petty crimes. Just hundred dollars. I'd put down that this judge saw anybody else. When he says you're a total waste of humanity, what he is saying right there, it's clear as day. You are a waste of a white man. Right. You could have been anything as a white man. If you were a black man, we would expect this and you're a monster and you're hulking and you should be thrown under the jail in hell forever. You're a beast. But a waste of humanity. You're a bright young man. You'd have made a good lawyer. I mean, and at that point I was like, I understand that Ted Bundy was like a probably a malignant narcissist amongst a bunch of other things. If you don't know what a malignant narcissist is, just look it up. And if you've had the good fortune of never meeting one, just consider yourself lucky (laughs) because they are the one. Um, But the fact that like he could, he even when the veil had been lifted, it's like I could understand if it's like, okay, we value whiteness in this country. We value a white man in this country. He's kind of fine looking, even though some people think that he's like, oh, he's so handsome. Whatever. He just looks, he has a face <laughs> and he's a white man and he drives his VW bug and he carries a briefcase. And so that is the quintessential definition of like a trustworthy person, according to an American narrative 
of white value, right? Right. But once the veil is lifted, it, it this shows the power of of how just of white supremacy culture in this country that they lifted the veil. You know that he has murdered dozens and dozens and dozens of women across many states right. and done horrible things to their bodies, abandoned them like trash. And yet, despite all of that, because he is this white man, the judge still feels the need to be like, God, this is a damn shame. I would have liked to have been your friend. I just, I, and maybe like that is something that we should have for everybody, a sort of empathy. Like this is a human being. This is terrible that you've done this, but like, I just can't help but draw the distinction between the very fact that he's even alive and able to serve out any kind of sentence at this time and wasn't just like murdered by police, had escaped from jail a bunch of times and then have a judge be like, oh, damn, just made some mistakes, partner. I don't know, whiteness is a hell of a drug is all I'm saying. <laughs> this is what we're up against. If if we can't, if if we, if I have to go up against this sociopath to be seen as a valuable member of society to the larger group of white people, I don't think I can meet this standard. If a, if a, if a murdering white man who raped, murdered, killed, beheaded, buried in the woods, kept heads in his fridge, if he's still considered more valuable than me, I, I mean, right. maybe it's time to go. Right. That's the uh, disheartening part. Yes. And that that's is why it. that, and it's funny because that's the point in time where the black people become they call it radicalized, but it's very simply just accepting the fact that nothing there's no real that, that the opinions of your humanity from white people don't mean anything. They're completely arbitrary. Yep. And just based on whatever they're thinking at the time, they don't even see you. They see completely through you and are guessing. Yep. <laughs> so once you live that life, you become your own black ass self. Yep. And then that's and these, are, and these are ideas also that are only rational in a world where whiteness is the most valuable thing you can have. Right. Not humanity, but whiteness. That's our show. <laughs> That's a show. <laughs> Wrapping it up. <laughs> Welcome back, Joshua Mitchell. Back. Welcome back. We're back. Black History Month. Whiteness is some shit as always. Get your shit together, white people. Cut the together. Get it all the way together. Stop with the jokes. Stop with the satire. On a small scale, if you are a white person and there is a racially charged headline on Facebook or Twitter, do not come in with the satire. Do not come in with the jokes. Do not come in with the sarcasm. You are white. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Your jokes, while we understand they are jokes, do not work in the context of us mourning something terrible. That's inching us all closer. That's all clo reminding us of our black ass mortality. Please stop. Don't be like, there's no satire. There are no jokes. It's not funny. There is no opening for you to do anything but be silent and listen. Or what you could do if you're on Twitter and you feel an itchy Twitter finger happening. Just tweet to white people who are doing silly, terrible, racist, awful things. 
Idioma Lua's book, so you want to talk about race. Or Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility. And just tweet that at, at white people and say, white people, we need to do better. Period. That's all you should say. You should just, That should just be pinned to the top of every white person's feed. White people, we need to do better. Start by reading these books. Um, if you'd like to contact us, <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, ANS Freeman on Twitter. And you can also find uh, Dasha at Dasha Takes Note uh, on Twitter. Dasha Takes Note. If you have any questions, if you have any concerns, if you want to go ahead and uh, have diarrhea of the mouth, despite our begging you to think before you speak, you can do it anyway. Kid us up. Also, yeah. if you have a job where you feel like you're having your time wasted for the sake of time spent so it can be written down, that you spent this amount of time at your job and just just enforced inefficiency, then hit us up. Let us know. Yeah, if let us know about what's going on at your job. If you're listening right now at a job you cannot leave, even though you've been done for two hours, <laughs> then hit us up. Because yeah. you're not you're not crazy. Mm -mm. We see it. They're just making you be there so that you can be there, so you don't look like you're having too much fun or having too or your job is too easy. Yeah, vent vent at us. Um, we're opening up the venting valve. That's right. Vent about your your job and how much time you waste. That's right. We're here for y'all. Yeah, and right. we'll 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 talk about some of those um in a couple weeks. So go. send them our way. Thanks so much. Happy Friday. Happy New Year, y'all. New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Enjoy what you heard? Become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash unfridays and follow the network at twitter.com slash unfridays. Help us to take over the airwaves and destroy centuries of misinformation perpetuated by colonizer propaganda. Or, you know, buy us a coffee and a few video games. <laughs>